We had a great week of Vacation Bible School. Many of you were a part of that, and you know that we had a lot of volunteers who put in so many hours preparing and then being with our kids. And we averaged, I think, somewhere between 115 and 120 kids each night, so that was a great opportunity. You know, the important thing about Vacation Bible School is we have those four nights and then the closing where we can really build into the lives of some kids that we never get an opportunity to really interact with any other time of the year and maybe don't even have a whole lot of influence in the name of Jesus in their lives. So we get two hours each night with them to speak into their lives through some great Bible teaching and also through you know missions and some of the activities that, that build in those same lessons that they're learning the rest of VBS. So it's a great time for us to do that and we really had a good week. So I'm, I'm thankful for each of you that helped with that and brought kids and donated and brought items, all those things that made Vacation Bible School possible. You know, this morning we begin a new series of lessons, and as we begin, you know, what's on my mind is that I love studying Scripture. Now, I know part of that is I'm a nerd and I love to study anyway, but, but the rest of it is that this is and the, the Word of God to us. This is what God thought was most important for us to know. This is the creator of the universe, the creator of all of us, telling us who he is and who we are and the message of salvation that he sent Jesus to die on a cross for our sins that we could spend eternity with him. That's the message that we find there and there is no more important thing for us to study. And, and I love sharing the insights that I find when I study scripture with you. That's why on Sunday mornings I'm excited to stand up here and share what God's word has spoken to me and then that we can share together. But, but you know there's a next step in all of that and one of the things that I feel passionate about as your pastor and I know other people who speak on the stage feel the same way we want to share our love of studying scripture with you so that it's more than just hey we come on Sunday and I share with you what I've learned but that you would open up God's word for yourself and allow God to speak into your life through his word and so so that's what this series really is, as we jump into the book of James and think together about what that says. And we've got the booklets available for you on each side of the foyer to take home if you didn't have one of those. A great way to underline, highlight, draw, whatever it is can help you gain some insight into that book. And so today we, we jump into that and we think about what James has to say to us and how we can allow those lessons to speak into our lives. You know, a little bit of insight into how we think about preaching in our church. Zach and I plan our messages a lot of times together, thinking about the whole year. And, and one of the things that we do is think about the issues that are most pressing, the things that are on our minds as a church. So, so we'll teach a lesson on family. We'll teach a lesson on money. We'll teach a lesson, uh, a series of lessons on relationships, how we grow in our faith. So those are all topical things. So we take this important topic, we find the passages maybe from all over Scripture and, and allow those to speak into how we understand that topic. Now, that's one kind of, of series of lessons, but, but this one's a little different. Because what we do when, when we take a book like this, the book of James, is we allow the text to set the agenda. So we're allowing what James had to say to say, okay, these are the things that we're going to talk about as a church. And I think that's really important because if I'm going to share my love of Scripture, one of the things we've got to do as a church is 
study scripture, right? And so that's what we're doing in this series. So again, I hope you'll take that and allow it to speak into your life. Now, as we think about the book of James, one of the things that he deals with is there are lots of influences that are at work in the life of every person. This was true in the first century and it is true now. You know, human, human nature, I don't think, has changed that much in 2,000 years. So we face all kinds of cultural influences. And in fact, many of them are not that different from James's culture, the Roman Empire, to the, what we see today. So there are cultural forces at work shaping your character in our time, just like James dealt with in his time. Our culture has values, and those values sometimes speak into how we understand ourselves and understand our lives. So our culture values things like success, right? Our culture, our culture loves a winner, right? What happens when a coach or a manager starts losing? They're gone because we want winners. And so sometimes we worship at the altar of success in terms of business or money or even the church. We like winners. We also love power. That's why politics is so important because it's all about who's going to have the power to set the agenda. That's true, again, in the bigger picture of politics, but it can also be true in the workplace. It can be true in virtually any organization, including the church. It can be true in our families. Who's going to decide how things are going to roll? We think power is important. We think pleasure is important. What do I want? What do I enjoy? We sort of believe that, you know, if it makes me happy, surely God wants me to be happy, so it must be okay, whatever it is. Unfortunately, Scripture does not say that, but we sort of feel like it should, so we say stuff like that. So our culture values all that. The question is, are we going to allow that to influence us? Are we going to allow that to form our character? Or are there other things at work? Well, James deals with some of those things that really should form our character. One of the main themes that we see running through the book of James is this understanding of wisdom. And we're going to get to that in just a minute, how wisdom really should be forming our character. That's a theme that runs again throughout the book, and it shows up in some odd places. But I want us to begin today right at the beginning because it sets the stage for how we understand this letter. So here's how we begin James chapter 1, verse 1. He says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. What's he talking about? Who is this James? Okay, that's an important question for us as we open this study. Which James are we talking about? Now, we could nominate several early characters that are named James. What we find is that James was a pretty common name in the ancient world just like it is in our church, okay? we got a bunch of Jameses running around this church, and they were in the ancient world as well. Here's part of the reason we see this. Remember that the church grows out of the, the people of Israel. And James in that day, sort of James makes some transitions over the years. In the first century, it was Jacob. And then the translation begins to change, and it's James now. So Jacob and James mean the same thing, same name. Well, it's not surprising that we would find a lot of Jacobs among early Christian Jews because Jacob is the father of their people, all right? So lots of Jacobs, lots of Jameses in the ancient world. So this James, you'll notice it just says 
James. It doesn't say James from this city. It doesn't say James who is a son of this person. It's just James. Like they would all know who it was because my guess is they did know who it was. This was a person who needed no introduction to them. They would have known who this letter was from. So who could we nominate? Well, we think, well, maybe it's one of the early apostles, right? Because they were the closest to Jesus. And in fact, the list of the apostles, this early group of Christian leaders, there are two Jameses. Maybe it's one of them. One could be James, the brother of John, all right? John who wrote the fourth gospel. John who wrote first, second, and third John. John who wrote the book of Revelation. John who's right beside Jesus throughout his ministry. Maybe it's his brother James. Well, that would make sense because of his connection to Jesus, his connection to his brother John. We know that he was close to Jesus as well. But what we also know from the book of Acts is James is the first of the apostles who is killed because of his faith. And it just doesn't seem that James has the time to write this letter and to the Christians who are really all over the world at this point before he's killed. So it's probably not him. There's another James, James, the son of Alphaeus, who's one of the apostles. But that James really doesn't have much of a reputation in Scripture or in the ancient world. He's not a James that would have needed no introduction, so it's also probably not him. So that leaves another James in Scripture, James, the brother of Jesus. And what we know about that James is, not only is he Jesus' brother, he's also one of the most important leaders in the early church in Jerusalem where it all began. And so we see him at work in places like the book of Acts and in Galatians as a leader among early Christian Jews. Who's this letter written to? Early Christian Jews who had scattered all over the Roman Empire. So if you mention James to one of them, that's the James that would have immediately come to mind. It was a James with authority, a James that was recognized as a leader. So my guess is, even though we don't know for sure, that we're talking about James, the brother of Jesus, writing to early Christian Jews who've spread out across the Roman Empire. He calls himself a servant of the Lord. That's the James we're talking about. One of the things that he does is identify wisdom as the most important influence on us. And we have to remember that wisdom really is important in the ancient world. This is what he says about it. If we jump to the middle, this theme runs all the way through the letter. But one of the places we see it most clearly is here. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. He says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in, meekness, in the meekness of wisdom. So James takes wisdom. Now, an important concept in the ancient world. Okay, so there are Greek philosophers, I and mean, all they think about is wisdom. They develop great philosophical systems that explain wisdom. Sophia is the Greek word for wisdom. And in fact, there were goddesses of Sophia, of wisdom. And so they worshiped this. The word philosophy has that word in it, Sophia. Okay, So it's important in the ancient world. But James takes it and says, the world has wisdom. The world says this is all about how you think. But let me tell you, it's more than that. So his question is, who has wisdom? Let me tell you about a person who has wisdom. Let me describe them to you. It's not just about what you think. It's not just about some philosophical system. He says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. You see, for James, 
Wisdom is not just about right thinking. It is also about right doing. And so that's why this series is called Talk is Cheap. Because we could talk all day about wisdom, and James says that's not enough. You've got to actually take what you understand to be right and true, and you've got to put it to work. You've got to do something with it. You've got to act on that wisdom. Then it becomes real. Then it's the kind of wisdom that God would advocate for us. And so he describes sort of a contrast. He says, let me tell you what the world sees as wisdom, and then let me tell you what God sees as wisdom. He begins with the world's wisdom in verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic or devilish. He says, okay, two kinds of wisdom. There's the world's wisdom. How does the world's wisdom work? It works like this. It's pragmatic. The wisdom of the world says, hey, the world works like this. Okay? This is a set of truths about how the world works. What you need to do is take this understanding of the way the world works and use it to your advantage. Use it to get what you want. He says this is selfish ambition. Okay? So that makes sense. We know people in our world who do that too. They use all that they know about the way the world works to, to manipulate circumstances and manipulate people to their own advantage. What's the result? Anger, jealousy, bitterness, broken relationships, people feeling like they've been used and or abused in the relationship for the other person to get what they want. Manipulation never ends well, okay? But that's what we see. The world, in some ways, very similar to the world that James saw. People manipulating the system to get what they wanted. He says, okay, that's how the world works. That's the wisdom of the world. Now let me tell you about God's wisdom. And we find that in verse 17. He says, but the wisdom that is from above, in other words, the wisdom from God, is these things. First, pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now, when we read that, if you're a little like me, whenever I see one of these lists in Scripture, and there are lots of them, it's easy to sort of read through that and say, okay, those are all good things. God just sort of generally wants me to be a good person. Godly wisdom includes all these good, positive traits. Let's move on to the next verse. But we miss something really important if we do that. We miss the contrast between what Paul says is the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. So I want us to spend just a few minutes. We're going to go through these pretty quickly, but we need to see how he describes the wisdom from above, the wisdom of God. The first thing he says is it is pure. Okay? When we're talking about something from God, it's going to be pure. It's not going to be sort of a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It's going to be all of one substance. And Paul is, James is basically saying, listen, you should be pure. You should be the same wherever you go. Okay, the, the wisdom of the world is take what you can get and then manipulate everything. So be whoever you got to be to whoever you're around in order to get your way. He says, no, it's pure. It's the same wherever you go. Okay, just like God is. Second, peaceable. Peaceable. 
Now, this is not always easy. Because we don't always feel peaceable, right? Somebody does something that we don't like. Somebody does something and we feel taken advantage of. Someone uses the wisdom of the world to manipulate us and we don't feel peaceable. What we want is revenge. We'll get to that in a minute. But James says we, we choose peace. Not only between us and other people, but this could also involve making peace between two groups of people or two people who are not getting along. And you know what happens to peacemakers? They get shot at from both sides, right? It's not easy. It can be a very difficult situation to find ourselves in. And yet James says, that's the wisdom from God. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's about me being at peace with the people around me and even making peace between people who are not getting along. Pure, peaceable, gentle. Again, not always easy. Gentle. Now, when we hear gentle, I think sometimes what we hear is weak. Gentle people are not weak. You want to be strong, you want to be bold, and that is not gentle. And yet it's exactly what James says is involved in the wisdom of of God. You know, we talked about gentleness one night in our missions thing for VBS. And I told the kids, think about this. Some of them were old enough to remember the day that mom and dad came home with a baby brother or baby sister from the hospital. And I said, how did you have to treat them? And it was like, oh yeah, gentle. You have to be gentle. And yeah, it's a little different. It's not the same as physical gentleness, though that can be important. But yet there are people around us who need us to be gentle. You know why? Because they are fragile. And maybe you've had a time in your life when you felt pretty fragile as well. And what you needed was a gentle word. You needed a voice of kindness. We sometimes need that in our own lives. And there are people around us who need us to be gentle, to not be harsh but to be careful in the way that we interact with them. Pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason. What does this mean? It means yet yeah, you actually listen. Okay, we think we're right. And we think it's important to, to stand for what is right. And we should. And it is also important to listen to people who are wiser than us. James is asking these early Jewish Christians to whom he is writing to listen to listen to what he has to say, to accept some correction. And there are times that we need to accept correction from Scripture just like they did in the ancient world. And so we need to listen to what Paul or James or John or any of the other early writers tell us about what life should be like. We need to be open to reason. Sometimes our minds need to be changed because we are wrong. And we don't really want to admit it. And yet we know it's true. God's wisdom says, I need to admit when I'm wrong. I need to admit when I should be corrected. Sort of a blow to the pride, but we need to do it. Full of mercy. Forgiveness. There are people in our lives, we don't feel like they deserve mercy. We don't want to forgive them. They've done things that really hurt us or hurt someone that we love. And yet, we are called to offer mercy that is not earned 
or deserved. Just like we received from Jesus. Jesus offered us mercy that we could never earn and will never deserve. And what we're doing is following the example of Jesus when we show that kind of mercy. Also full of good fruits. This goes back to how James understands faith. James says faith is not enough. Okay, Faith can save us for sure. Faith is powerful. But James says we can't leave it there. Faith should always be worked out into action, into life. This wisdom that he understands from God is always going to be put into action. And so it's going to bear good fruits. It's going to make a difference in the way that we talk and interact with people and what we do. It's going to bring about something that matters. Full of mercy and good fruits, it is impartial. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you are. How much money you've got, where you're from, what your family's like what gender you are, what race you are, what you've done in the past, the message of Jesus Christ is for you. And Christians are called to love you. Impartial. That's what we're talking about. And then finally, sincere. We're real. It's easy to put on a mask. It's easy to pretend like everything's okay. It's easy to try to fool people. And James says the wisdom of God is to be sincere, real. So we take all that and we hear what James is saying. And to me, I see such a huge contrast with the wisdom of his world in the Roman Empire and the wisdom of our world that is so pragmatic, that says, take what the world has and use it to your advantage for success, for wealth, for pleasure, for power. Make the system work for you. But the contrast that we see in James for the wisdom of God is striking. You know, sometimes people think Christianity is old-fashioned. You know, what the, the biblical writers did was just sort of affirm everything that was of value in their culture, and that could not be further from the truth. There are so many times when biblical writers were counter-cultural. They stood against what the culture believed in. And sometimes we as Christians have to do the same thing. Because our culture says, this is how you work the system. And yet we see James calling us to a different kind of wisdom. We might say it this way. Wisdom is aligning your character with God's. That's where this study begins. Wisdom is the, the central theme that runs throughout the book of, uh, book of James and really sort of informs everything else he talks about. And the wisdom that he's talking about is aligning our character with God's. All these things that he uses to describe wisdom from above describe who God is. Now, when I hear that and when I read that list, I don't know about you, but I'm a little overwhelmed. Because I know some of those things don't describe me. I wish they did, but they don't. I've got work to do in a lot of those areas. And it's like, how can I... How can I be at work in all those things and really get to where God wants me to be? I don't feel like I'm capable of that. Maybe you feel that too as you read that list. Here's the good news. If we go back to the first chapter and read what James has to say about wisdom there, there's encouragement. Verse 5 of chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, and most of us I think would say, yeah, that's me. If, if this is the kind of wisdom I'm supposed to have, the wisdom of God, I lack it. Let him ask God, 
who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So if you feel like you're lacking some of the wisdom that James is talking about here, pray. Because it's not all up to you. In fact, you and I cannot achieve this on our own. What we've got to do is ask for God's help. Now that doesn't allow us to sort of abdicate our responsibility. Hey, it's all up to God to do this. I'm just going to sit back and hopefully God will be at work. What I think we're talking about here is us doing everything that we can and allowing God to be at work to form our character into the people that we need to be. Now how do we do that? If this is God's character, how does God show us what he's like and who he is? There is no better place to start than in the Gospels. Because that's the story of Jesus. That is God's self-revelation to us. That's telling us who he is, the kind of person that he wants us to be. If we're going to be this kind of sort of person aligning our character with God's, we've got to study who that is and what that looks like. And we can only do that in Jesus. And we've got to think a little bit about what are the influences on our lives. Our culture has influences. James's culture had influence. Are we going to allow that to be at work? Or are we going to allow God to be at work? Because they're not going to influence us in the same way. You know, maybe you look down that list and you go, that seems a little naive. It seems a little naive to think that the world really works that way. Or could work that way. Or that I could possibly be successful if that's the kind of wisdom I used in this world. But what we've got to remember is God created this world. And God created us. And God knows what your very best self looks like. And you're not going to find it following the wisdom of the world. You're going to find that becoming a person who is pure and peaceable and takes all those characteristics of God and allows that to fill you and make you become the person that God wants you to be. You're not in it alone. He's there helping you. But each of us has a responsibility to pursue that kind of wisdom and allow it to form our character. Let's pray together. And we know we're lacking. We're all too aware. So God, we pray that you'll be at work, active in us to create the right kind of character that fits the wisdom that you've talked about. But God, help us to pursue you. Help us to put it into action so that we're seeking out the wisdom you'd have us to have. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus died on a cross so that you could have a relationship with God so this wisdom could be at work in your life. If you're ready to pursue that in faith and repentance and baptism, we'd love to walk with you along in that journey. Let us know. Come forward as we stand and sing our invitation. Let's stand together.